0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this week, we've got Tony Mariotti from Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, back on the show. Uh, we're going to be talking bass and panfish, a very popular topic across the Midwest. Uh, where Tony lives, there's lots of opportunity. We've talked about it a bunch of times on the show. They're in that Otter Tail County, Lakes region uh, parts of Becker County, there where Tony lives, there's a lot of fishing going on, a lot of opportunities, and a lot of diversity from lake to lake. And that's what makes this conversation a little bit special. Uh, we're going to be talking basin and panfish, which is a very common conversation this time of year, every year. But uh, it's not a very redundant conversation when you consider uh, the diversity in the lakes that we all fish and just all the different talking points that can relate to so many people in so many different ways as well as the conditions every year are different and that's what we're talking about in this show what makes this year special and and what Tony has been experiencing and what his recipe for success has been this year in that part of the world and I think it's relatable to everybody we definitely got to be considering the conditions year to year and what makes everything a little bit different and that's going to help us always be ahead of the game and be prepared for our next outing onto the ice to be successful. So, let's get into it here. We got Tony Mariotti. We're talking bass and panfish. Let's do it. All right, Tony Mariotti. Glad to have you back on. It's always clutch when I get in touch with you. You're always ready to do one of these. I love it. Um, because you just, again, you just come from that really awesome part of the world where there's just a ton of ice fishing opportunities, you know, Detroit lakes, Minnesota, that lower end of Becker County and Otter Tail County and all that good stuff. Um, and we're going to talk about, uh, I'm going to ask you questions about, you know, this time of year, the panfish patterns, right? It's a, it seems like it's a redundant conversation. We're talking basin bites here quite a bit, um, but there's definitely some things that make every year a little bit different. And so you know, that's kind of going to be the gist of this conversation. I'm really excited about it. But to start, we have to, if we're going to talk basin, you know, uh, ice fishing patterns in the in Minnesota, I have to have you kind of start off and talk about how the basin's set up for you on the lakes that you fish so that people can kind of get an understanding and relate you know, wherever they're fishing, whatever, whatever they're doing, you know, what a basin really is like, what is the basin this time of year that you're looking for to go break down for these basin patterns? So start there.
1: You know, I'm super excited to talk about this because, you know, you said this is a little bit redundant, but it really isn't. This year has been actually very unique and, and quite a bit different than a lot of years. And what I found was, you know, I typically focus Early on in the year, uh, I spend a lot of time fishing those weed fish, I call them, or the weed bites. And this year, we kind of had that perfect storm with a ton of snow, ton of heavy snow. And it seems to have kind of, you know, zapped out some of those weedy areas or those green live weeds. And these fish poured over the basins much earlier than normal. And, you know, he said, talk about what a basin is. And a basin, to me, is kind of a, a deeper hole adjacent to shallower weedy areas now i'm not necessarily talking the deepest hole in the lake you know uh Prime example, we have lakes up here. West Battle Lake gets to 117 feet. I am certainly not considering that the basin. I'm looking for more specific areas that maybe, you know, depending on the lake, maybe they're only 18 to 20 feet. In some lakes, maybe they're, you know, 36 feet, 38 feet. But I'm looking for literally on a lake map, something that looks like a a small bowl. And when I say a small bowl, you know, maybe it's an acre, maybe it's, you know, 10 acres but just a smaller depression and even in that depression if you can find you know the spot on the spot where maybe there's a little bit deeper depression where you know we get down to 34 feet, but right here it gets down to 36 and it's the size of, you know, maybe two school buses. Well, it seems like those fish relate to those basins like that. And they relate specifically to different areas and different depths. And so if you can find those areas adjacent that just basically look like a bowl adjacent to the weeds, adjacent to shallow water, that's what we are referring to when we're saying we're out looking for the basins in these lakes.
0: And is it just a deal where... I mean, every lake's a little different. Right. But like that basin, it just seems like over time, that's where it all that silt kind of silts in and that there's, it's nutrient rich bottom content. Right. And there's 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 invertebrates and stuff. Is that kind of the deal? Like, how would you describe that? Why the basin is uh, where they go? You know,
1: it has to have something to do with the bottom composition. You know, typically a basin's got a softer, muddier bottom. It's uh, great for invertebrates. You know, the bloodworms, um, you've got a ton of of small bait that shows up. That small bait is going to bring in the small bait fish. And you have to look at, you know, a lot of times these these predator fish, we don't consider crappies and even bluegills at times predator fish, but they're eating their own. And so these crappies and sunfish are moving over these basins and they're eating the not only the bait, but also some of the small bait fish that are, are feeding on whatever's coming up from the bottom.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So getting back to this particular year, you know, t- elaborate as much as you can on what you've been seeing this year you know how have you kind of gotten up to this point you know here we are in february uh you know basin basin panfish a big topic of conversation you know this time of year but so much of the information you know that we go off of uh, is kind of what happens leading up to now right i mean it's like the conditions leading up to now kind of get us to now so go back and you know look back at at, at uh the ice season so far for you and kind of get us up to speed man you know you kind of started before but uh, we'll try to elaborate on it
1: Sure. You know, we started off with really good ice end of November. I mean, actually by Thanksgiving, we had really good ice, really good clear ice. And we were sitting with, you know, eight to 10 inches of good ice. I was having phenomenal success in my typical early ice haunts. I was catching, you know, walleyes right off the first break line. Um, right on the edge of the weeds i was getting my panfish up in the stands of cabbage weeds and i was really i wasn't fishing deeper than probably 17 feet of water um, for anything and then we got absolutely hammered by a ton of heavy wet snow and that snow i thought we were going to wreak havoc with the ice and i thought we were going to be in for one heck of a miserable season but what happened was that wet snow impeded people going out and and really messing up the ice. It didn't allow for travel. And then we, in the weeks following, we got bitter, bitter cold, where it was 14 below zero as a high several days. And that cold just literally zapped the moisture out of all that heavy, wet snow. And it literally, over the course of two weeks of cold, it refroze that that hard or that uh, wet snow into like a hard packed ice and what that did is it it wasn't your good clear ice that we had at first but it really got a milky kind of you know not not good quality ice but it throws down to about six inches of this milky hard ice so you would drill through that and then you'd hit your 10 inches of good ice but all of a sudden we had 15 inches of ice and with that milkiness and that heavy snow that was on, the light just wasn't able to penetrate below the the ice like it normally does. So right away, I started seeing, you know, my big stands of cabbage and coontail were dying off fairly quickly, um, you know, and then years like that, you worry about some of the lakes having winter kill problems and things like that. But what had happened is rather than these fish just hanging out in the weeds, like typically do till a lot of times mid-January, by the end of December, these fish had already pushed out over these basins. And it was like, they just knew that if there isn't forage here in these weeds, I'm going to push out. And they went to these, these deeper holes, and I find, you know, they're... Some days you find them on the edge. sometime I think it's more time a day. But more, sometimes a day they're out roaming. Um, after dark, they really seem to come alive in those basins and just constantly roam. And so that's really been the progression that we followed. And typically in years we we follow that progression, you know, year in and year out. But this year it just seemed to happen much earlier, and it's been more consistent um, you know, Martin Luther King day, I had the day off from work and I made it a goal. I was going to go just try some different lakes. And I fished on four lakes that I hadn't fished yet this year and ended up using the exact same patterns. I fished just the basins. Um, we did very well on, or I did very well on three lakes struck out on one, but I think that was even a time of day thing. And, uh, it was good enough that that's where we uh, went to one of those lakes here when we filmed here last week or two weeks ago, with Jason and yourself, and you know, those are the things that I'm finding. If you can, you know, just get on a pattern,
0: they're holding true on many different lakes. Targeting these basin fish throughout the winter, you know, this, this kind of answers some of those questions as to why some years are better than others, or some years are tougher than others for every individual angler. It's like, you know, no, no two years are exactly the same for the conditions leading up to and during this time of year. And I just find it fascinating and we got to remember that stuff, you know, recording these conversations I think is important so we can go back on it because it's going to happen again sometime, maybe like a decade from now. We're going to have, you know, deja vu, like when did this happen before, you know, and what was the deal and we can come back on this. I I think that's kind of important for anybody that's trying to get better at stuff. But talking about the fishing, Tony, talk to me about the fishing. I mean, setting expectations because, you know, you go out on lakes. Sometimes you're lake exploring, or sometimes you're just looking for a, a new spot on your own home lake. And you're you're looking for these basin fish. You're going around the edge of the basin. You're trying everywhere. How do you break them down? Like how do you break them down to sort of to know whether or not you found them, you're on the right spot, or do you or you got to keep looking? You know the size of fish. Do they school in sizes? Do they school in species? Like what's the whole method of the madness when you're breaking it down?
1: You know, for me, I, I do drill a lot of holes. Um, when I get out, for example, the lake that you, uh, we were just out on, I got out that on Martin Luther King day and I looked on the lake map. It was a lake that I hadn't fished in about six years. And I just went out to where I had caught fish in the past and I immediately drilled about 20 holes. I would say, you know, I drill a hole, I'd take 10 steps and drill a hole and take 10 steps. And there, there was really no rhyme or reason other than I, I knew I should be in the general area of this basin. And I just started uh, dropping the Vexlar down and seeing if there was anything. If there wasn't, I'd move to the next hole. And what I found was none of the holes that I stopped at had fish. So then I'll, I'll take, I'll slow down. I'll. Take my rod and I'll actually drop down to the bottom, see if there's anything, you know, coming off the bottom. And that's what I found. As soon as I would get a jig down, all of a sudden I had fish moving up. And it was funny because, you know, I was hoping for some crappies over this basin and it it turned into, you know, oh, the bluegills are here. And they were big bluegills. And I, you know, caught three or four out of one hole and I moved to another hole. And sure enough, there was nothing on the vexlar dropped down. I caught three or four more big bluegills, moved to the next hole. And this time I put the transducer down and wow, I had marks about four feet off the bottom. And I thought, well, you know, that's weird, but these bluegills certainly uh, are cruising. Well, then I dropped down to those and those were the crappies. And so the crappies were a little bit higher. It just happened to be, I stumbled on as they were roaming. And, you know, that's how I found the fish were there. Um, I basically... Sat and had fun and kind of, you know, waylaid some fish for 20 minutes, half hour. And there was one other guy out there. And I, I smiled and said, you know, well, your secret's safe. I said, uh, I'm not out here to keep fish right now. I'm just out looking for spots that are good enough to film on. And I joked with him and, you know, he said, yeah, it's just as fun to release them, isn't it? And indeed it was. So I literally left a really fun bite, a really good bite because okay now i know they're here i know we can catch them i i i was using some bigger baits even on this day the sun was out a little bit and i you know okay i had success and that's when i'll move to another lake and see if i can replicate that same pattern so i went to another lake popped a bunch of holes and it was a little bit deeper it was like 36 feet out in the basin and there were some hard sided houses out there but nobody was around And everything looked right, um, but I popped around holes for probably, I don't know, 45 minutes, never marked a fish. And does that mean that, you know, I'm giving up on that lake? Certainly not, but I can, I could fairly confidently say the fish weren't active at that time. And I wonder if it's more of an evening bite in that basin where, you know, these fish kind of, maybe they're in the weeds, maybe they're roaming somewhere else and then. You know, as that sunset hits the trees, they, they move over that basin because that's when those bugs start coming out of the, the mud bottom. And I found that to be true on a couple of lakes. You know, I can't for the life of me figure out where these fish go during the day, but come, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock at night, they just, it's like somebody waves a magic wand and all of a sudden these fish start roaming this basin again. And, you know, a lot of times you can be on those fish all night long until it gets light and then they disappear on me. And so I just kind of take a lot of times of just slowing down, putting a plan together, and, you know, when it comes together, great. If it doesn't, I'll move on to the next lake. You know, we've got so many lakes in this area, so many bodies of water that I, I'm, I'm lucky in that regard. But, you know, anybody can do this. You can just get out and hit, make it a goal to hit, you know, four different lakes. Or even, even more impressive, maybe, is hit four different spots on your home lake. You know your lake better than anybody, Maybe. And then you're going to go out and try four different spots that I've never fished before or that just look interesting on a lake map. And, you know, by doing that, you're going to find success at some point. And let me tell you, it's pretty darn rewarding when it works out.
0: The JMO podcast is sponsored by Long Haul Trucking. Long is always looking for more skilled professional CDL drivers to join their team. They're a people-first company, and it shows. Their employee-owned, asset-based fleet of over 350 Conestogas is among industry leaders in pay and benefits geared towards long-term success and growth for company drivers and owner-operators. If you're a professional driver or a company that wants to ship product with the best in the business, get a hold of LongHaul at 1-800-255-5153. Or find them online at longhaultrucking.com. Longhaul, running on the power of promises kept. Like you said, even if you live somewhere where you don't necessarily have the, the efficiencies or the total access to that many lakes, man, you can do these things and learn so much about one nice sized lake, you know, and, and just learn different areas that you've never touched before. Man, I just think that that is such a such a strong message. And But yeah, like replicating lake to lake, um, I think is a really fun uh, fishing experience as well. I'm really glad that you touched on that, where when you do get yourself into, you know, you've kind of, you, you, you've really kind of sunk your teeth into a good pattern and you've already kind of had a successful day. Well, how do you get more out of that day? You know, three or four fish doing the exact same thing or just you, you have just enough time to go out, try to get do that pattern, you know, maybe on the other side of the lake and just find out what's over there or get to another lake. And it's like, man, the reward and, you know, just the overall learning and, and everything that goes with it. Um, I just think that is such a fun thing for us to be talking about right now, for sure. Um Talking about though, you know, continuing along the lines of breaking down the lake or breaking down the basin for you, like how diverse, of your presentations i mean is this a time of year where you kind of already know what they're feeding on you know what's going to trigger them you know where you're at with this or do you still bring the kitchen sink and go through the gauntlet like what are the major factors with how the bite is day to day this time of year in the basin
1: you know i i do think you have to be pretty much ready for anything um i ha- am a big fan of big baits and I, i've said that on every episode or every Time we've chatted. I, I use a lot of big baits—a big minnow XL plastic, a big uh, you know XL drop jig. I i like big baits whenever I can. Now, there are times when you just can't. So, prime example: we filmed a show a couple weeks ago, and I was using big baits and dropping down. I was getting fish to come up and look, couldn't get them to go. And so I, you know, go back and I tie on something smaller, and you know. She's still looking. Went back and tied on even something smaller, and then went with one wax worm and, and a you know one thirty-second ounce drop jig, and boom! That then instantly I started getting bit. So you do have to be you know willing to change your presentation, but you know it never hurts to to be willing to change you know I've, I've got another lake that we've been out on and had some really good luck on swim baits and i've had my kids out there and they weren't catching fish well i ended up just hooking on a crappie minnow these fish were coming in 12 feet down and 26 feet of water and by putting the crappie minnow on they out me you know three to one even with the glide bait but I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do whatever it's going to take to catch the fish. And once we find the pattern, sure. Okay. Now we know that this is what's working. And, you know, I let my kids go ahead and catch fish on the crappie minnows. And then I ended up using a swim bait, went to a rattling blade spoon, went to a small tungsten with a big, with a big minnow XL plastic. And, you know, none of those things performed as well that night as the crappie minnows did, but. I knew that the crappie minerals were going to work. So why not try other things? And, you know, I, I've had a, a message come through on Facebook uh, after the last episode. Aired, somebody said it would kill me to have to throw back fish that size. And I said, you know, here's the deal. Not a huge fish eater, but if I'm going to keep five for a meal, I, I could easily keep five. And you'd still see, you know, 15 fish getting released because we, we caught that many. And so just being willing to experiment and do different things, you're going to find success.
0: Yeah, man. You know, one thing that I've heard when we get into these basin bites, I've heard this on other people's content, watching videos, listening to interviews or whatever it is. Um, I've heard that like during the, this time of year, this in the Midwest, in the wintertime, you know, the dead of winter, you get over these basins, especially with crappies. If they're suspended, if they're schooled up and suspended, it, it so often they're they're you can just tell by that pattern. People say that they're typically a minnow eater, and a lot of times, you know, if you have that water column kind of specified, and you have minnows down, or just your jigging presentations that are more minnow oriented, like a glide bait that's the right size, or you know, a jigging spoon that that mimics. You know, like a wounded minnow is typically the deal on that. But if you're fishing basin bites where it's closer to the bottom, generally speaking, they're an invertebrate deal. You know, with the bloodworms and the shrimp and the all the different things that are happening down at the bottom. For you, do you even think about that, or does your sort of does your checklist kind of the same wherever you're finding those bites?
1: Well, I, I'll touch on that. But what you started off this conversation or this question with something that I think is also super important to remind listeners. You said, when I listen to other people or when I watch other things, um, that's so important. I mean, the internet is a wealth of information. And if you think that, we are out there and just trying these things and coming up with everything on our own, you are missing the boat. I am constantly trying to gain information. I know, you know, even a uh, Jason Mitchell who knows so much stuff. There are very few people that I know that are more of a student of fishing than Mitchell is you know that guy he's got his nose in a magazine or his nose in a book or he's searching this you know I've spent time with Dave Gans and Gans you'll never meet a guy who spends more time on his phone looking at lake maps and you think he's got it all figured out but there he is sitting in the corner with a lake map of a lake he's not even on and he's looking at these patterns so 100% get out there do some research i mean it's fascinating to me it's 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 relaxing and i find it almost therapeutic to just sit back and be like you know what's he doing and, and i love watching certain people you know when you watch their videos or you see how they do things so with that said um i also have learned that from people but i've also put that kind of uh, two and two together in the sense that if i drop a transducer down a hole over a basin and i have suspended fish I can just about always tell you they're going to be crappies and they are going to be aggressively feeding. Usually that's when I can get away using bigger baits. I can get by, you know, using that minnow XL with a, with a bigger jig, because I do think that those fish are more predatory and they're more maybe get a reaction bite. You know, that those are the fish that as you're dropping down, when you get five feet above them, they start moving. You see those fins flicker and those those big marks in your vexlar start to come up. And typically those are you know those are the fun fish those are the fun bites but i have definitely found that now when you have to drop down to a to a fish because maybe there's nothing showing up on the vexlar when you get into that basin and you drop down and as you get three feet from the bottom all of a sudden you see a little flicker and you start working it and you can see that that uh marks start to come up little by little those a lot of times i think are those those fish that are are feeding on invertebrates they're feeding on whatever's coming out of that muck and a lot of times maybe that's a time of day thing too because maybe you know the hatch or or they actually come out at a certain time at night and these fish know what's going on much more than we do or uh we wouldn't have to overthink this but yeah I definitely see that as um, very true. It seems like the when you start talking suspended fish, that's when you're 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 able to get a little bit more aggressive and use
0: bigger baits. If you have any fishing memory that you would like to commemorate, or have questions about commemorating a fishing memory with a replica made of any fish that has ever graced your net. Get in touch with Rizavi Fish Replicas, owned and operated by Jamie Rizavi over in uh, New Rockford, North Dakota at Rizavi Taxidermy Studio. You can find them online at com, or find them on Facebook at Rizavi Taxidermy Studio. You can see the pictures here at the JMO headquarters in Devil's Lake. We have some phenomenal replicas made by Jamie and his crew hanging on our walls, which we absolutely love. They look absolutely perfect, just like the fish that were reeled in that day. And every chance we get to go in and admire them and tell those stories and share those stories with each other, we absolutely do. Again, if if you have any questions about getting a fish replica made to commemorate any great trophy memory you have of fishing, Get in touch with Jamie Rizvi at Rizvi Fish Replicas. you won't be disappointed. Now, the other thing that I kind of have down as a note, uh, like this time of year, is a basin bite in the winter, in your opinion, a good time to maybe try a new lake? I mean, these patterns, in, you know, are, are they consistent enough that this is a time of year that we could be inspiring people to go check out a new lake? because we can find these fish.
1: For sure. You know, I think that, that being said this year, more so than most, you know, every year's a little bit different. Like you said, but this year, it would have been so simple for me on that Monday that I had off work to, you know, get the honey do list done or, or enjoy a day of vegging on the couch. And I thought, you know what, I, I just need to get out and try some, some spots and, it happened to be spot one I had success and then I thought okay well this other lake has this same type of structure didn't have success went to the third lake looked at that same type of structure just got over those basins and it was loaded with fish same with uh spot number four and so right now I would say that if I got three out of four lakes that this has worked on and you know it, it seems to have been going on this way for the last few weeks. Um, I definitely think it's a pattern that, you know, anybody could get out and do right now take a look at that basin, look for that hole, you know, send me a message. I, I you know, Jason Durham uh, is a guy out of Park Rapids and he's one of the, the most open books that I know. And I've really tried to take a page from, from his examples. And if people reach out, I'm more than happy to share information. Now, I'm not going to give you the, my, my secret spot that, uh, you know, I, I've found, but I'm going to be able to point you in the right direction. I'm going to be able to point you into, you know, Hey, you want to know this about, this lake in the area sure um you know people can always reach out uh the other thing is if somebody has an idea and they say you know when this podcast posts you know comment below it and say you know what about this lake or is this what you're talking when you're when you're talking about a basin you know does this spot look good and you know it it might be something that i say yep or you know jason might chime in or whoever and say you know look at this over here though or you know A lot of times these basins are going to already have some hard-sighted fish houses on them. And typically, you know, I think of January is usually the toughest month to fish. And then February, it kind of gets a little bit easier. But this year, we just never really had that hard lull because these fish just kind of seem to be forced out of their, their hiding spots and out over these basins. And they've been there. And in all honesty, you know, Taylor, these fish usually start stacking in there much, much thicker as we get into March. And once those hard-sided fish houses are off and there's not the pressure on some of these lakes and these basins just load up and it's crazy because I feel like they're loaded up right now. It's only going to get better in the upcoming month, month and a half. One other thing that I just want to touch upon too is the fact that, you know, when I'm usually thinking of basins, especially come, you know, laid ice after after those fish are pretty much pushed out of the weeds and i'm out there you know exploring a basin and, and i'm i'm talking about uh you know lakes where uh, maybe it's a 30 foot basin i like to set up you know right out in the middle and and look for those fish but what i'm finding right now is a lot of times you know maybe I'm not finding fish right now in the in the deep part of the basin during the day, but as I slide up towards the edges, you know maybe where it's where it's right on the break where it's going down to thirty feet an hour we're in twenty four and you know sliding down right over here it's twenty seven I'm finding those fish right on the edges, and so. If you're not finding fish, especially, you know, maybe at a time of day when you when you want them to be there, try just moving towards the edge of those basins. And a lot of times I think that's where, you know, these fish are just chilling. They're they're hanging on the edges and they're just waiting to slide out and eat. And so definitely hopping around a little bit, definitely, you know, gives you a little bit of an advantage.
0: Right on, man. Let's uh let's spend a little bit of time just talking about some tangible stuff, some, you know, stuff things that maybe like a short list of things you got to have if you're when you're going out there this time of year
1: sure you know i uh, i always have well we all have our phones on us and i mean i think as a bare minimum you want to have the navionics app on your phone um is it perfect nope but it's sure going to get you close and so i like to pull up the navionics app you, you hit the lower left hand corner and it shows right where you're standing and you know (laughs) Uh, on that note i was on a secret spot uh two weeks ago and my wife called and i answered and she said what are you doing out there and i said don't you don't mention that lake don't let anybody hear you yeah and so this technology you know people know where we are all the time but yeah. yeah the navionics app it shows right where you are as you walk i can walk right into what appears to be the basin or what looks like that deeper hole and i'll drill a hole and it might tell me i'm in you know my Navionics app might say I'm in 26 feet, and I might drill a hole, and it might be 24, it might be 29, but at least I know I'm get, I'm close. I'm in this area, and then I punch a few holes and make sure that you know I, I see some depth change or that I know I'm indeed in the in the center of this basin, and so um, Navionics app is huge. I think, uh, having, you know, I, I use a six inch K drill, it's lightweight, it's easy. I can pop holes quickly and I'm yet to have a fish that is too big to get up. it. And so having a drill and then, you know, a flasher of sorts, uh, I, I use my Vexlar because it allows me to see what's below me now forward facing sonar. And a lot of these things that are coming out from, you know, all the different companies are coming out with them. One hundred percent. Do they help? They sure are a tool. But do I think there you need them for most applications and just going out and finding fish? Absolutely not. You know, they're a way to hunt down the fish, and maybe it's a little bit quicker because um, you can search a little bit faster than you can by by down viewing. But I certainly don't think that you know if you don't have it, you're not going to go out and catch fish. I'm not using it um, most of the time. I, I don't have it with me, and uh, so I don't think that that's necessary. I'm also thinking that as I've gotten older, uh, high vis line is probably the most important thing for me because I can tie retie my jigs quicker and I can see it on the ice. So I'm using a high vis line in usually three pound test and I'll when I go out, I typically have three rods set up at all times. I've got you know bright green line and, or a bright orange line, and I will have one with a large tungsten XL jig with a Mackie plastic I'll have one usually with some sort of a spoon that I'm going to tip with either a head after dark or wax worms during the day and then one with a small tungsten jig and that small tungsten jig even though it's not my preferred method this season I've had to go to that more often than I've been able to get away with big baits. And I think that's just because we've had such up and down weather. Um, you know, these fish kind of, they get a little little off when temperatures are changing and pressure's changing. And, and we've had, you know, days where today it's, you know, 28 degrees out there and calm. And yesterday it was windy and 14. You know, it's just, it, it just puts a little bit different pressure on them. I think you got to downsize. You got to kind of entice them a little bit more. And that could be the reason, or it could be because um, it's just, I'm not used to finding fish in the numbers that I am over these basins this time of year already. And so for whatever reason, maybe what they're feeding on is, you know, smaller and I'm matching the hatch more with a more realistic presentation.
0: Yeah. 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 One thing, you know, for me, when I'm out fishing with you guys, right. uh, uh, Not actively fishing, but we're filming and I'm watching, watching you go through your progression. um, You know, I, I didn't really have a full understanding You know, prior to being in the industry of uh, like, you know, like spring bobbers, for example, like bite detection, you know, either in my, you know, for me, it was like either they bite or they don't, you know, but it's unbelievable how um, if you focus your setup, you know, or or you kind of gear your setup towards being able to to, uh, detect even some light biters, which a lot of times it, it can be the bigger fish. Um, I want you to talk about that a little bit. Cause you, you know, mentioning that high vis line is what really got me. It was like, man, tying your knots is one efficiency, but also seeing the subtleties of the bite.
1: Right. You know, and especially if, if you're using, you know, a bait that's going to give you a lot of line twist and, you know, like this, like the glide baits or even a, uh, Uh, jigging spoon you know a lot of times you get some line twist and you can see your line kind of kink up and sit there well what that high vis line allows you to do is kind of watch your line and if that little crinkle in the line straightens out a lot of times that's a bite you know they used to call that tight lining and there were some guys that you know were very good at it they could watch their line for for just minute changes and you know on a on a little bit easier to see or a, a less finesse type is using the spring bobber or you know i i've said for years that uh, dead meat stick it's got that you know that sanded down fiberglass tip and i just love it because it allows me with a small jig it allows me to see the slightest little you know where they suck it in and it just ticks and more importantly some of those fish we had uh last time we were out they were up biting and when they were up biting they weren't just barely up biting but they were aggressively coming up and pulling that bait you know a lot of times 10 to 12 inches as they shot up and ate it well not only could i see when all of a sudden my rod went slack But that tip goes up and you know that I need to have some extra tall hook sets. And it was funny because I know that in the video, we had a couple that looked ridiculous as I, you know, made a a two foot set the hook, but that was the only way to catch up to these fish that were hitting so hard upwards. And so for sure, having some sort of a bite indicator, whether that's a, 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 you know, very sensitive rod or added on spring bobber or these new spring bobber rods, um, you know, the noodle-type rod, too. Uh, they they just show the bite detection so much better. And technology is advanced where, you know, the backbones on these things, they might have a soft little tip, but they're going to have enough oomph behind them that, if you get an incidental bass or walleye or pike, you know, it's got the heft to, to hold up to them. And a lot of times those are some of the, your, your most memorable fish. Cause it's just a giant untargeted species on this little panfish rod. And you know, it's, it's all about the tug and it sure is a good time.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, man. No, I can, I can relate to that so much as an angler and and then, and, and, and just learn from it where, yeah, like watching some people's hook sets um, has been huge for me. You know, and it, I just feel like, man, or, you know, early on, it's like a lot of you, a lot of you anglers, uh, when the cameras are rolling, you're real dramatic with your hook sets. But now I realize, as a videographer, man, your batting average is way higher landing fish when you get a good hook set in them, and when you understand your equipment and and the bite itself, you know, those up bites, um, bite detection, and a good hook set is like. 95 percent of whether or not that fish will end up coming up your hole or not so it's uh yeah big big learning deal there I'm glad we were able to talk about that a little bit now we're doing really good on time we don't have a ton of time left what would be some other little tidbits you could leave us with anything that comes to mind any fun stories about this year that have just been kind of rewarding um, as you've been exploring some of these basin bites
1: you know it's it's just been I think that if I could if my story would be Martin Luther King jr day. Simply, I remember getting the kids out the door and and wife to work. And I sat down on the couch and I thought, I flipped on something on TV. And I said, Nope, I've got to go. So I went out to a lake that I fished, you know, uh, a handful of times over the last few years and got there. And boom, I was on fish. And this was fun. I caught a number of nice fish, hopped to the second lake and struck out, went to the third lake and, uh, there was, a, there was some Amish kids out, talked to them and they had, a, they had a spear house set up and they were having a blast catching northern spearing northerns. They said they hadn't seen any big sunfish, but I popped some holes and only caught little guys. And then I ended up on Lake uh, four and boom, the fish were just stacked in there. And so just by getting out and doing it and, you know, seeing these patterns that were the same on, on multiple lakes. I think that was probably my biggest success. Um, you know, another thing that I I think I can touch on is I know we talked about it when we were out fishing is, you know, when you get into that basin, I think moving your, your bait constantly is super important. You know, a lot of times we think of the old dead stick presentation where you set your bait down there and just, you know, wait for something to swing by, but there is nobody I know who, who, jiggles their rod more than Mitchell himself you know we we laugh about it because he's got such a unique cadence at times when there's nothing there and he's moving this yeah and he's moving (laughs) that rod I see myself doing it now but I'm he's moving that rod like you think i would never do that but what he's really doing is just creating a flash and creating movement where these fish all of a sudden pick up on it maybe they didn't notice it here and that guy calls in more fish that way than anybody i know um and i i've learned to start doing it it might look silly to me or it feels unnatural but you know just keeping that bait constantly moving seems to have you know it, it's worked for him and uh, i'm not gonna ever uh, stop learning so it's something that I, i've really paid attention to this year and i've tried to do a lot more is don't be so passive you know get that bait moving keep things going and uh, you know call those fish in whether you're using a 30 second ounce jig or you're using a swim bait you know call those those fish in because uh it seems like that motion and that movement attracts them and you know they're curious and they they come and look or they or they saw something and and we know that fish attract fish so if you can get a fish there it seems like you get more fish there and the pattern continues
0: oh yeah i think that is you know that there's so much to that you know there's many layers to that and i i believe um you know confidence in calling fish in there's certain situations where you know, a spot on the spot, you're just you're gonna have to find the X. Otherwise, you're not gonna call as many fish in. But in these basin deals, these fish are roaming, and sure, they might have areas that they like more than others. But it really is an opportunity to call fish in. Uh, you know, and so if you if you know that about yourself, this is just me talking. I know about myself that um, you know it's hard for me to have confidence calling fish in if I feel like I'm not on the spot. I feel like I should continue moving or continue looking, but in a basin, it's not necessarily a small X that you got to find and you can call fish in and, and it can really mean, um, it can mean some really important bites for your success that day. So I appreciate you kind of depicting that. And I'm just kind of throwing my two cents in, in there on that. Um, you know, just from my perspective, but we've got our Tony, anything else that you want to add or promote, we've got it. I appreciate your time. If I don't say it again.
1: No, I've got nothing other than looking forward to what should be the best time of the season in the upcoming weeks as my children's hockey ends and I start having time to spend a little time on the ice exploring for myself.
0: Love it. I love it. We look forward to watching, keeping track on your social medias and everything else. And, uh, yeah, Tony Mariotti, man, Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, thank you so much for the time once again.
1: Thank you, sir. Have a great weekend.
0: All right, you too, man. We'll talk to you. All right, Yeah.